Hello everyone, hello and um, welcome. So my name's Ash, uh, I'm one of the leaders here at City Church and it's a real privilege for me to be able to speak to you this morning uh, from the Bible. And I'm, I am a little bit, um, I'm a little bit emotional if I've got to be uh, completely honest. That was absolutely wonderful. It was such a treat to be part of that and to celebrate uh, the work of God in the lives of three, uh, three ladies, three members of our church. An absolute treat. Now, guys, um, I was told at school that every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, the, the story of Jesus, in some senses, has a beginning, a middle and an end. Now, for many of us, when we think about the story of Jesus, we might begin with his birth, his miraculous birth, which we often celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, then we might look forward or look ahead to his death and his resurrection that we think about, that we consider, we remember and even celebrate at Easter. And I suppose for those of us who might be a little bit more familiar with our Bibles, we might be aware of some of his teachings, some of his uh, the miracles that he did, some of the, uh, the healings and the signs and the wonders that maybe happened between his birth and his death. But I can imagine that for most of us, when we think about the story of Jesus, we think that, well, after the death and the resurrection, that's it, really. That's the story wrapped up and done. It's a little bit like my first experience going to a theatre. And I was really excited. Oh, a theatre, that, oh, that's really fancy, isn't it? And I don't know how old I was. I can't remember what I went to see. But I remember sat there really enjoying this show, this story. Um, but all of a sudden... What happened? Well, the lights went up and the curtains closed. And I was very miffed. I've got to be honest. I felt that I'd been absolutely robbed because I was enjoying the story. All of a sudden, lights go up and curtains close. I'm thinking, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you finish things there? Why would you end things there? That makes no sense at all. Um, what I didn't know, this is something that everyone around me seemed to know, was that was not the end of the story. That was the interval, this, this kind of little bit of time where you're supposed to get up and go to the toilet and have a drink or have an ice cream, which is still, I find that really, really weird. But the most exciting thing for me was to realise that the story was not done. There was more to come. And I was so glad for it. And I actually want to say that, you know, for many of us, uh, we, 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 we get to the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we think, oh, that's the time where the lights go up and the curtains close and that's it. Time to go home because we've seen the entire story. I want to say that's not the entire story. I want to say there is more to come. There is plenty more to come and it's really, really exciting. And we're going to get into some of that this morning. Um, the story of Jesus. They're really excited. <laughs> The story of Jesus uh, we have in our Bibles. We have a story written by a guy called Luke. Luke was a, a doctor and a historian on the side. And um, Luke went around, he visited people that had met Jesus or talked to him or seen some of the miracles that Jesus had done. He interviewed them and he compiled all of these interviews into basically a documentary, a documentary on the life of Jesus. And it's a two part documentary. The first part finishes around the time of his death and resurrection. Um, but what we're going to look at today is the beginnings of the second part. So um, we're going to read the first 11 sentences uh, from the book of Acts. So this is uh, Luke. Dr. Luke uh, is writing here. So the first 11 verses of uh, chapter one says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, as I said, those uh, those words, they kind of they, they follow the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we remember and celebrate at Easter time. And what we find as we uh, look at those sentences is that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, his students, his his friends, his his gang. He appeared to them over the course of 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of God. He wasn't there for the entirety of the 40 days. He kind of popped in and popped out. I mean, he would just appear. He'd just appear and then go again. He didn't quite know when he was going to be around. But when he was around, he taught them about the kingdom of God. And that was all part of their training. These guys have spent three years with Jesus. They saw him die, come back to life again. And now for this 40-day period, it's like the, the end of his training. It's like wrap, wrapping up their training. But the training wasn't quite done. It was due to be completed in Jerusalem. And this is why he says to them, hold on, just wait. Do not leave Jerusalem. There is more to come. You're not quite done yet. And I'm aware there are some some in this room um, doing GCSEs and A-levels and maybe your mind to get them beyond that. But you're not quite done yet. There's still, there's still something to do. In a similar sense, Jesus says to his disciples, hold on in Jerusalem. Your training is not yet complete. Because you are about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We have seen three people being baptized in water. They went down into the water and came up again. A symbolism, as, as Ali said, of uh, moving from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when they came up, they were absolutely drenched, weren't they? They were drenched and dripping over. And that's the kind of the imagery, the language that um, we, we ought to understand when we talk about baptism in the spirit. Jesus was saying that his disciples, his students, his friends would be immersed in the Holy Spirit, immersed in God himself, almost dripping over them. That was going to be the, the final phase of their training. Now, let's just consider for a moment what they have what they've seen in Jesus, what they've seen and experienced up until this point. Um, they've seen some of his healings. His amazing teaching, his wonderful uh, compassion for people, his perfect holiness. Um, they've seen him wrongly arrested, accused, dying a horrendous, I mean, absolutely shocking death on a cross. And they've seen him come back to life. They've seen all of that. 
And it begs the question, given all that they've seen, they've also seen him come and teach them over 40 days. Given all that they have seen and heard, where does that lead? Where does that go? They're probably asking a few questions to themselves. Okay, well, we've seen all of this from Jesus and he comes back from time to time to teach us about the kingdom of God. Well, what's next? What's going to be next after this baptism in the spirit? And they ask a question. They ask a very, very good question. Let's have a look at the question from uh, verse six. They ask this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this isn't simply a, um, there are different types of questions, aren't there? This isn't simply a request for information. It's not, um, Jesus, do you want some milk with your coffee or not? It, it, that's, there's more going on than that. It's not simply a request for information. In fact, it's a heartfelt question. It's almost a heartfelt plea. You know, the subtext of that question really is them saying, Jesus, please, 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 will you restore the kingdom to Israel? That's really what's going on. And, you know, friends, the, the wonderful thing is that honest questions to Jesus receive honest answers. And I, I want to I wanna say that honest questions to Jesus receive honest answers. He is not afraid of questions. He loves questions. He loves questions. And what Jesus does in this circumstance is something that he does very often. If you read uh, the Bible, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus uh, in the Bible. If you read any of them, you'll realize that often when Jesus is asked a question, he will give you the answer. But he'll also kind of he'll throw in some bonus material, some things that you weren't actually asking. Um, and some of you will know people like that. You might be that kind of person. Someone comes and they just want some information about something. And you give them the information, but you realise, ah, oh, it'd be really helpful for you to know and understand this and this and this and this. That's Jesus right there. So you might get a bit annoyed at that person, but they're just following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? So Jesus answers their question, but then he answers three questions that they haven't asked. Three significant, important questions. The answers to which will be very good, very beneficial for them. But what is, what, what do they, what is his answer to the question? In fact, where does the question come from? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? These these guys, these Jewish boys, these Hebrew boys um, would have been part of a family uh, heritage uh, lineage that would have looked forward for generations, would have looked forward to a Messiah is the word that the Bible used, a promised one. The Old Testament prophets talked about the the, the day when the Messiah would come, the perfect leader who would lead the people of God into peace and prosperity and and spiritual worship and freedom from oppression. All of that stuff, they pin their hopes on one day this Messiah will come. And in fact, these disciples, um, we won't go into it quite now, but these disciples, some of them, when they first meet Jesus, we get a description in the Bible of them having a conversation with one another and asking do you think this is the guy? Do you think this is the guy that Moses and the prophets talked about? I reckon it might be him. Do you think it might be him? And then a little bit further along the line, as they spent some time with him, Jesus actually asked, he asked a question to his disciples. He says, um, um, who do people say that I am? And they throw out a whole load of answers. Some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're this. And he asked a really direct question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of the disciples says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we have been looking forward to. But then what happens is Jesus is arrested. He's taken away. And he is killed. At which point they must have been wondering, oh, what on earth is going on? We thought this was the guy, but now he's dead. 
We've set all of our hopes, pinned all of our hopes on him, but now he's no longer here. Maybe he wasn't the guy. But three days later, he came back to life again. So they must have been thinking, given that this is the guy, this is the Messiah, when is he going to do it? When is he going to do what is promised? Jesus answers the question. He's not just brushing it away. He's not sweeping it under the carpet. It is a, is a genuine response. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Essentially, guys, you don't need to worry about it. It is all in hand. God the Father has it under control. It's all in hand. You don't need to worry about the specifics of when and where and how. It's all good. But there are some things that you do need to know, and I'm going to answer them now. So Jesus answers three questions that they're not actually asking. The first question is this. What is the, the, the size or the scope of God's activity and mission? Second one is who is involved in the mission? And the third one is, how does the mission advance? How does it move forward? So the first one, what is the scope or the size of God's mission? Well, these these guys who'd spent time with Jesus, who would have been really familiar with their Bibles, the Old Testament Bibles, they should have been familiar with some of the phrases from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, um, God speaks to him and says this, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Isaiah says, God says to Isaiah, it's too small a thing for my servant to restore only the tribes of Israel. I'll make him also a light of salvation to the Gentiles. That's everyone else in the world. Or word to the prophet Zechariah, many nations will join themselves to Yahweh. That's God in that day. And many, many similar phrases throughout the Bible. These guys ought to have been familiar. They ought to have remembered their Bible studies with Jesus over those 40 days. They ought to have realized that God's desire was never just restricted to Israel. It was always bigger. It was always broad. It was always for all people, all nations, all types of cultures, all types of languages, everybody. They ought to have remembered. But, you know, I think it's quite likely that they did remember. They were aware. They knew all of those passages. They were absolutely aware of that. But for them, as is often the case with us, sometimes uh, your, your, your mind and your heart can be in different places, right? You can know something. Yeah, I know it, but... If I'm entirely honest, my heart is somewhere else. And for these guys, the the, the deep question of their heart was, Jesus, when are you going to do it for us and for our nation? We're under oppression. We've got Roman forces basically coming and occupied the land and they've squashed us and squelched us. And this is not all that we expected or looked forward to. Jesus, when are you going to change things? You've healed the sick. You've enabled people to see again. You've come back from the dead. Jesus, come on. When are you going to do it? Jesus, just say the word and we're with you. We're with you. We're behind you. That's the deep thing of their heart. And I want to say that's not a bad thing. It's really not a bad thing. It's really not a bad thing to yearn that that, that God himself would do something in your life, in your family, in your community, your, your workplace. That is not a bad thing. That is, in fact, a good thing. But I think what we see here is that Jesus is helping these guys to have a more, uh, a bigger, more expansive vision and understanding of God's heart, God's desire. Yes, God absolutely loves the nation of Israel. Yes, he's absolutely interested, but he's interested in so, so much more. And Jesus is just trying to help them. It's like, don't, don't lose that heart and desire for Israel, but God's is for so much more. Which is why he talks about Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the capital of the nation. 
God's desire is for Jerusalem and for Judea, which is a surrounding region, and for Samaria, which for these guys would have been like, really? You see, Samaria was culturally, um, socially and ethnically slightly different to uh, where they were from. So this idea that God actually loved those people and had plans for those people would have actually been really hard to hear, to listen to. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And friends, we've got to remember 2000 years ago, they wouldn't have had access to Wikipedia or YouTube or anything like that. Couldn't have just pulled up a video on, let me find out about this culture, what people like to eat here, what a language. None of that was available. The ends of the earth, you might as well be talking about like going to Mars or something. It's just like, well, Jesus, it's just like, I, I had no idea. We were thinking about Israel and yet he's thinking about everything and everyone friends we must allow our minds and our hearts to be aligned with god i want to say like love where you are i love where i am i absolutely love where i am some of you would have seen my t-shirt that has my postcode on might sound really sad to you but i love where i live i love where i'm from originally in london absolutely love it but you know what for me to grow, for me to mature, actually my heart has to get bigger than just where I'm from and people like me. And this is what Jesus is doing with these disciples and it's what he does with his church. He expands our hearts. God cares about what is seen both under the microscope and through the telescope. He cares about the very, very small, the very, very big and everything in between. So that's the what, that's the scope of the mission. Let's think about the, the who, who, uh, who is involved in the mission. We're going to do a little bit of English uh, grammar at this point. I'm really aware that there are some English teachers in the room. Um, so I'm just not going to make eye contact at this point. Um, we're, we're going to do some English and we'll see how we get on. Um, I want to say a powerful transition can be witnessed when our language changes from you and they to we. I'll say that again. A powerful transition can be witnessed when our language changes from you and they to we. You see, it indicates an alteration of perspective, a new way of seeing things, a new way of experiencing things. Let me give you an example. I'm going to turn to um, some words from John, who was a, a friend of Jesus. He wrote an account of the life of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 14 through to 16. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. Um, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Um, those words are earth-shattering. This is Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth talking to human beings and calling them his friends. Absolutely earth-shattering. Calling them his friends. You know, our wrongdoing, the Bible uses the word sin. That's all the ways that we turn away from God, that the things that we think and say and do um, that are, are just um, like anti-God and not God's way of doing things. Our sin separates us from God. And by nature, we are removed from God. We are at a distance from him. It's like we've, we've decided, you know, sometimes with a sat nav, it says, this is the best route this way. And you just decide, no, I'm going this way. We are off on a completely different path. But yet God, in his mercy and kindness, speaks to us. But he speaks to us always kind of from a distance as a sort of you and a they. Okay. But in Christ, the you and the they becomes a we. 
And that's part of the reason why Christmas is so exciting. Beyond the, the, the mince pies and all of that stuff. Part of the reason why Christmas is so exciting is because we remember God himself, Jesus, who has always been God. We remember the time when Jesus took on a human nature. He added a human nature and he was born into a body just like us, lived just like the rest of us. The you and the they becomes a we. And can I just say he still has a human body. So when we talk about humanity, he is using the term we because he is part of us now. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He pointed people to God. He pointed, he made a way back to God. He, he reduced that separation, that chasm. He did it all on the cross. He takes our sin and he receives our punishment. For those who trust him, he says that we are in it together. On the cross. As he's got his arms open wide, it's almost a picture of embrace. It's almost a picture of he is wrongly up there. He's done absolutely nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. He could have got out of it. But even there, even there on the cross, dying horrendously, arms outstretched, almost embrace. We, us, together. You see, Jesus on the cross pays so that we don't have to, pays for our wrongdoing. He takes on our debt. We receive his riches. He's clothed with our ugly reputation and we are adorned with his perfect life. They asked the question, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore uh, the kingdom to Israel? And we've learned that the scope is bigger than Israel. But how does Jesus respond? And I'm paraphrasing in terms of the sense of what's going on here essentially Jesus is saying look it's not only I you're asking when am I going to do it as the Messiah when am I going to fix it when am I going to sort it friends it's no longer simply an I it's a we because in the same way that I have taken on your sin I've taken on the punishment I've taken on the shame we're all now in it together my mission is your mission for those who've become Christians the Bible uses the language of adoption and it's really powerful language throughout the bible you'll read reference to in the church brothers and sisters and we can think oh that's a bit bit strange a little bit weird but they took it really seriously in that culture and that context as a legal term adoption to be a brother or a sister was an unbreakable thing or to be adopted into a family was unbreakable for the Christian, the one who is in Christ, has been adopted into the family of God, has received uh, God the Father as their father, as their good and perfect father. And as we're adopted, we receive the family name, the family rights, family privileges, family relationships. We're also invited into the family business. And I want to say it's not a burden, but a blessing. Jesus is kind of turning the thing around and saying, Friends, guys, we are in it together. You have a part to play. We have a part to play. We have a role. We are going to do this together. And it's not a burden, but it's an absolute blessing. Imagine for a few moments, uh, November 2022, so the World Cup, Football World Cup happening later this year in Qatar. Uh, and I can imagine, I'm not going to point any fingers, but Ditch, I can imagine seeing Ditch there in his England kit, getting really wild up at, at certain points. Ah, oh, come on, guys. I can see him like, Pacing and run, like around the TV, come on, come on, come on. Imagine after that match, we just scraped through to the quarterfinals. After that match, Dij gets a call from Gareth Southgate. He says, Dij, mate, um, unfortunately, Harry Kane is just, he's not up to scratch. Are you able to fly down and play in the quarterfinal? And Dij is thinking, <laughs> he's thinking, I'm going to have a look at my diary. Mm. <laughs> 
But Didge would 100% be there, wouldn't he? He'd 100% be there and want to be involved. Well, the reality is, for those who have become Christians, who have received Jesus, it's like we get a call out of the blue and we are given, we are given that England shirt, like the kind of representation that we are part of the team, part of the family. But not only are we given the shirt, not only are we able to kind of celebrate and spectate from a few thousand miles away, but we're given the privilege of playing, of being involved. So Didge doesn't just have to shout at the screen. He can get on the pitch and be involved. Friends, it's not a burden, but a blessing. It's the family business that we have been drawn into. And that's what he's wanting to help his disciples to understand. It's not just me. I'm going to do it all by myself. Guys, come in. Come in. Let's do it together. How kind, how generous, how amazing is that? So we've looked at the what, we've looked at the who. Let's now consider the how. How is it going to happen? Well, we see two things in the passage. Firstly, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Did you know that Jesus himself received power? Though he was fully God, he didn't like access his full godness while on earth. You know, sometimes with a phone, you've got so many different options and settings and or you can turn mobile data on for this or off. Or you've got all of that. Jesus had access to the full package, every app, every all of that stuff, every um, TV, all of that stuff he had access to. And yet he didn't make use of. He lived just like the rest of us. But it begs the question, how did he do what he did then? How did he heal these people? How did he come with this amazing teaching? How was he so patient and so kind? If he, if he wasn't kind of um, using his godness, he was just using his humanity. How did he do that? Well, friends, it's because he was empowered with the Holy Spirit. And I think I'll reference that earlier on. He was empowered with the Holy Spirit. And for the Christian, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, i.e. the Holy Spirit, is available to you. It is available to each and every one of us. I want to say that again. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to every follower of Jesus. So what that essentially means is we go back to Digi's situation, right? Not only has he got the got his shirt, he's been given a free England shirt. Not only is he flown out to play, but when he gets there, when Digi realizes, oh, I'm actually not quite as good as these guys. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Because he's enabled, he is empowered. Okay, so Jesus is saying to his guys, look, there is power available to you to do the things I'm calling us to do together. Really, really good news. He's essentially saying to his disciples, you guys are going to be able to do what I do. Pretty exciting to me. (laughs) You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in word and deed. You will tell what I have done, what I'm doing and what I will do. You will tell the gospel story, that story of the miraculous birth, the amazing life, the sacrificial death, the triumphant resurrection and then the ascension and the return. You will tell that story. You will tell what I've done in your life. We heard some of that this morning. (laughs) The work of God in people's lives. You will tell what I've done in other people's lives. Lives. It's one of the one of the reasons why being part of a church is such a blessing is that you not only have the privilege of God working in your own life, but you get to witness what he's doing in others as well. And as you do so, empowered by the spirit, this will change the world. Oh, we might think, well, steady on, steady on, steady on. The world has a lot of problems. 
a lot of, I don't even want to list them at the moment, thinking, okay, this simple thing of, 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 of telling these stories, how is that actually going to change anything? Well, we've seen change in the lives of three people already this morning. There are plenty more stories out there. We could think even broader. We could think about this very city, story upon story in the 1700s. Amazing things happened in the East. Honestly, absolutely amazing, earth-shattering things happened in this part of the city. And you could go all around the world and see the miraculous work of God that came out simply from this story being told that these people ordinary people empowered by the holy spirit witnessing to the work of god the holy spirit as he empowers he gives desire he gives us a desire he gives us boldness and he gives us ability the work of the spirit has implications both near and far and i love this i just love this the guys their their heart is for their nation for their country jesus when are you going to do it for us and you know, I said before that, you know, he didn't sweep the question under the carpet. He answered some other questions, but the answers to the other questions are actually just what they need for where they are. Because Jesus is about to pour out a gift like no other that could transform Israel and the world. And he's not just going to do it himself. He's saying, guys, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit so you can be involved. You can have a part to play in it. How amazing, how kind, how generous from Jesus. And he says the same to us today. He says the same to us today in fish ponds in the east of Bristol, Bristol, the UK. He says the same to us. And we look at the world and the state that it's in. He says, guys, I've brought you in. I've saved you. I've rescued you. I've taken my, your sin on myself. And now you are part of the family business. Not as a burden, not as a have to, but as a you get to. And I'm going to pour out my spirit on you to enable you to do that. Finally, friends, I think I'll ask the musicians to come up at this point. We see two things at the end. Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, Some people might ask the question, "Okay, he came back from the dead. Where is he? What's he doing at the moment? Is he hiding out in Norway? No, he ascended to heaven. And because he ascended to heaven, we can be encouraged. We ought to be encouraged. Because what's he doing? What's he doing in heaven? Well, in heaven, from heaven, he leads his mission through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. He leads his mission through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is very much alive and active in heaven at the moment. So we send it to heaven. He will also return. And I want to say, friends, at his return, we will be filled either with joy or with dread. And the reality is that at the moment, some people absolutely love and adore Jesus. Some people hate Jesus. Some people think I've never really thought much about Jesus or I'm ambivalent. What the Bible describes is actually there will come a point when Jesus returns, either we will be with him or against him. There will be no middle ground. There'll be no sitting on the fence. But the offer at the moment is currently open so that we can be with him. It's a choice that we can all make. And for those who trust him, we can await his smile and affirmation when he returns. And I want to say, uh, Maura, Louisa, uh, Jasmine, you have that to look forward to. You have the smile, the smile, the affirmation, the hug of Jesus. That's not too irreverent a, a, a thing to say of Jesus when he returns. Not because of anything amazing that you've done or anything that you've achieved or how special you are. 
It's because he has brought you into his family. He's decided you are mine. You are you are one of us. And that is what you have to look forward to. Our hope is that we as we as churches, we play our parts in the family business of living and speaking for Jesus, that many others will receive his smile on that day. I want to say, friends, that smile is available to each and every one of us. That rich life, free from sin, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from punishment and having a role to play is available to each and every one of us. And I want to invite all of us into that. We're going to we're going to sing in response. But I think as we uh, sing for the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so, you might actually want to take the, the opportunity to reflect on that for a little bit or pray into that. Or if you're not particularly comfortable praying, I've not really done that before. I would I would love to sit and pray with you or, or Al or anyone that you've seen in, in one of these would love to pray with you. So that could be a bit more of a reality. But he invites us in and I want to encourage us to receive that amazing invitation.